Uh, in 2006, I lost my eyesight from a terrible incident uh, and used as the chastening hand of the Lord uh, to change my life. Uh, it didn't have to be that way, but from going astray from things I believe the Lord had for me to do, uh, the Lord's allowed that to be a part of my life. I'm grateful for that. Uh, that's probably where I'm going to preach tonight to try to help you as a church. But uh, in April, I started Blind Faith Ministries after being a pastor for a brief time and because of a direction I was wanting to take a church, uh, people that did not want to go that direction, uh, they pretty much pushed me out the door. Uh, the church was coming along steady, and we were trying to help to get things turned, but um, it didn't, just didn't work out. And from that, I started Blind Faith Ministries out of my local church, and I plan on preaching evangelistic campaigns and preach revivals. But on April 25th, mine and my wife's lives were changed forever. We were in a meeting we were not supposed to be in, and found out that South Sudan was an open country. And they were begging missionaries to come. I felt the impression of the Holy Spirit that I needed to look into taking a trip over there and see what was going on. Uh, my wife and I, I mentioned it to her, you know, you want to be on board with your family because if I lose my family, I don't have a ministry. Uh, and, and that's why it's such a key to marry properly. Because if you don't, you're, you're limited by what you and your spouse can do together. We're people that believe in marriage. I mean, that's what we're taught. That's what the Bible teaches. And uh, I asked her what she thought about. She said, I did my senior research project on the persecution of Sudan. I'd love to go. And we're rejoicing in the Lord, and I get home. And I said, I think we ought to take a trip in June. She said, June of when? I said, here in just a few weeks. Amen. And uh, so we started looking into trip away, and Brother Steins was trying to get those cute little tour books, you know, for Juba, South Sudan. I tried to talk all proper to the lady at trip away. She said, sir, we don't have books and tour books for Juba, South Sudan. It's a brand new country. It's about seventh world. If there's third world countries, it's way behind most of them. And uh, so we were trying to figure out things of how to get over there. They said, we can't get you any, we can get you a plane ticket. We can't get you a rental car. We can't get you a hotel. And I said, this is going to be very interesting. I was like, well, I want to make sure that God's in this. I said, I'm going to look into this further. But if not, I'm just going to take it from the Lord that's not what he wants to do. Sometimes you've got to learn to do that. Some things God wants done. Sometimes it's something you're not to do. But we followed up. And I called my pastor friend, and he got a hold of the missionary that preached that night. I said, who do you know in South Sudan? He said, nobody. I said, well, how did you know all this? He said, I have a pastor who supports a guy. I was like, oh, my well, he ended up getting a hold of this pastor that got me the contact of this young man that's now in South Sudan. And I said, hey, I need an invitation into the country. How did you get in? He told me, and you have to have an invitation to get in. And the man at the time that he went, went in with was the only American independent Baptist in the whole country. I guess that was just coincidence. And uh, he just happened to be taking a trip in June. Well, we knew then that the Lord was working in this, and he, uh, they were going to stay a week. I wanted to stay about six. I figured we need to get a good taste of what's going on over there. He said, I'll give you a vehicle, and I have people you can travel with. So we did, and we made an agreement to do it. Now all we had to do was raise about $10,000 in 44 days. We actually had to raise more than that. So I'm about half of the way from my time being up, and I've got about 25% of what I need. And the Lord puts it on my heart again to, that I need to give to help a boy in our church to go to a Christian rehab that we support. And I said, Lord, I don't have near my money for my stuff, but how am I going to do this? And I'm thinking, and it's like I believe you need to help your preacher and get this done. It wasn't some weird thing, just how thoughts come to your mind 
following biblical principles <clears throat> that the Lord can provide for you. So we did. The very next day, this is a true story, we thought it was a spam email. I have a donate page on my website. A lady that had helped me get a job outside of Chicago put over ten times what we decided to give to this young man for his project into our donate page account. Over ten times. They were the, she was the first person to give to my account other than my assistant pastor that just gave me money to make sure it was working properly. That happened. From there it started to rain money on us. Uh, the largest single gift that we were given for that trip was given by a man. We don't even know if he was saved. I was preaching a revival I was already scheduled for. The man had cancer. He was coming to church with his wife. They got heavily involved in giving to our project. Then he slipped back out of church once his cancer went into remission. But the Lord used him at that time in our lives. Uh, that small church really picked up a big part of funding for our work. We get to South Sudan. We, we uh, get to South Sudan on June the 8th and land there on the 9th, and we start. And we were with the group for a week, and they left and went back, and then we started traveling. We had the privilege of seeing over 3,000 people make a profession of faith in Christ, started Shadow of Mountain Baptist Church, and breached in prisons, military barracks, schools, uh, orphanages, soccer leagues, everywhere they would let me just preach the gospel. Well, now that all this work had got done, I had to try to get back and follow up. Uh, we went back uh, that December and strengthened the church, and it, it was just a totally different uh, mindset of what we did on that trip. It was brutal. <laughs> the first one was like you were living on the honeymoon. The second one was brutal. Uh, but we get a lot done there, and we have our own government organization there now. The government give that to me to where I can legally operate in South Sudan. That means if Brother Steins wanted to take a missions trip with us, all I have to do is sign the paperwork he stamped to go over. Uh, this is something that's a big lead for us because we've had problems with land over there and we can go through legal authorities to get things done. We also have an NGO in Uganda. These are big deals because we have an operating authority in those two countries. Uh, we saw about 2,800 people saved on that trip. Uh, we went back a third time, my wife and I. We started a church in northern Uganda and saw about 2,000 people make a profession of faith in Christ. Baptizing converts in the Nile. I baptized in the Suramu River, got a leech on me there, had typhoid, sick as a dog. And then I've been back in February for a couple of weeks to follow up after the war. South Sudan is the newest country in the world. And I don't know how long the door will ever be open. Uh, it is free, but there's tribal conflict now. It was supposed to be the fastest growing economy in the world in 2014. But one man's desire for power and another man's greed of causing issues as the has resulted in thousands of South Sudanese losing their lives. Two million people have been displaced and half of their population could easily starve out in the next six to 12 months. That's serious business. It didn't have to be that way. But whenever you've got people that fight and fight and fight, and that's all they know, then these type of things happen. Muslims run the north, which is called Sudan. Uh, religious people, not necessarily Christian, are in the south. And we are trying to start independent Baptist churches like this one wherever we go. We partner with nationals with our ASSIST program. That stands for Assisting the Savior's Servants in Service and Training and partner with them with finances and support 
to where they can go do the work of the ministry. This has been neglected for many, many years because of an ideology that we don't need to help and support nationals. We support nationals personally. We partner with churches to run support to nationals directly or individuals if that's ever a desire that your church ever wants to do. We are wanting to start the Adopt-A-Church program to where churches will start churches. This is what has to happen if we are going to get the world evangelized. We can do it quicker. We can do it more economically efficient. If we will partner with people that believe like us, that have been there for years, that we need to just help and, and get to them. For what it will cost me to operate in South Sudan, you can have 35 nationals over there very well and take good care of them. You do the math. There needs to be some guys like me involved in this. But there needs to be a whole spreading uh, to nationals that this can filter forward and move the gospel forward. That's where we've been missing it. And Anglican, Catholics, Pentecostals, and other people use those type of ideologies. And that's a biblical method. God knows it works. But they have the wrong power source because they don't believe the gospel. They don't believe proper doctrine. And most of them just aren't saved. But yet they use a model that... That's how wise Satan is. They use a model that's biblical, but don't use the Christ of the Bible. That, that's how they've gained so much control through the world. And we're sitting here with the right power source, but with frayed lines because this guy can't get along with this guy. This guy wants to fight with this guy. These people won't help this guy that believes just like them. And they wonder why the world is separated from Christ. It's because of distraction in the organization of Satan, the world, and our flesh and pride that will not reevaluate things and look at it biblically. The book of Acts teaches this methodology. I'm out of the Rich Creek Baptist Church in Spanishburg, West Virginia. I have authority as an ordained minister out of our church to hold the office of an evangelist, a pastor, teacher, or a deacon. With that authority, I have full authority to fulfill the gospel ministry and the Great Commission and reproduce what Rich Creek Baptist Church believes under the headship of Jesus Christ anywhere I go. That's what the New Testament teaches. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not the ones. Wisdom won't die with us. But this is what our burden is, our vision is, and God is moving it forward and now to permeate into South America. Will you pray for us? Please pray for us. Pray for Brother Ramos. I'll be picking him up a week from Monday in Charlotte. I'm trying to schedule a few more meetings for him. He is going to be here from September 15th to December 1st. And he's going to try to raise support for his church planters so that new churches can get started with just over 60 independent Baptist churches in Venezuela. They've had missionaries from boards and agencies there for years. We have got to get the funds and support to these national guys to multiply and quit adding. That's what this comes down to. There needs to be some guys there training and helping, but we need to disperse the workload to people that are going to be there till Jesus comes. If a war breaks out, which it has, if my family gets sick, and we have, if we have to be evacuated from the country, and that can happen, they are not being evacuated to America. They're there until the Lord comes or they die. They can eat the food, drink the water, know the culture, know the customs, know the languages. The blood is strong to disease. Why are we just not doing that? There's the unhealthy dependence that people claim. 
That is true. It can be an unhealthy dependence. You've got to be careful who you're working with. And if it comes a point in time with the accountability structure that needs to be put in place, you cannot usurp authority over a local church. All you can do is cut ties with a man. We are not over there to correct what a church does. Now I want to use my influence to that pastor to help him to stay straight doctrinally and to fight off wolves. I'm going to do that. But I am not, once the church has made it say, I am limited in what I can do other than for Blind Faith Ministries and Rich Creek Baptists for us to cut our ties. This is what we are trying to do as a biblical model. A Pauline method. And we need your help and we need your prayers. Pray for our national guys. If you sign up for our prayer letters, we will add you on to the September prayer letter list. Then you will start getting the updates from our men as well. We send those out periodically. Please get involved. Please get our prayer card. Please pray for us and ask the Lord to provide for us not only in our finances, but that prayers would be answers, labors would be sent forth, the Word of God and training materials would move forward, and Christ would be exalted, the Gospel would be furthered, churches would be started, and the Great Commission fulfilled as we partner together as people of like precious faith to do what is at the heartbeat of God. That's what we're trying to do. We need your prayers. I have presented what my vision and burden is for South Sudan and East Africa. And I would love to see the Lord spread it through all the world. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, you know a blind person with the ability that I have limited cannot do that in and of themselves. That is supernatural if anything gets done. My ministry is summed up by this. Where Jesus said of himself, without me, ye can do nothing. I recognize that I don't have the ability that I had when I had my vision but I am more subjected I believe to the Lord and He has been able to use my life more because He uses me with less ability but more submission to Him I need laborers I need assistance I would like to have a secretary none of those things have come out yet but very much in our ministry in spite of my handicap and I want to be a liaison I want to be a facilitator I want to be a mover and shaker if the Lord would allow me to be and partner with churches and partner with people across the globe that believe like us to fulfill what God has for us to do. Now that I've completed all of that, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and I'm going to preach on my personal testimony tonight. Now I'm not here tonight. After, I've just done all my presentation. I'm done with that. My goal now is to... I tried to further your vision for world evangelism. Now I'm going to preach out of God's Word to try to help you as a church and as a people tonight. I'm not here to give you a big crocodile tear story and say we're going to try to reach the poor blind people in South Sudan. No, have a blind ministry and start local churches. Whether you're blindsided or whatever you are. Start churches. You have ministries out of churches. And that's what we believe. But tonight, as we move forward, I'm here to try to help you as individual Christians in the day you live to see your life change to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I may never get back to South Sudan. I could die on the way home tonight. Anything could happen. My goal for the ministry is not South Sudan, but it is here tonight in Granite Falls. That is my objective, is to minister to you 
and to preach the truth with as much love and compassion as I have and keep it within the bounds of God's Word. That's what I'm going to try to do to help your pastor, to help your church, to see you conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verses 5 through 8. And if I miss something when I'm reading, I don't want you coming to Brother Steins and saying, love the man and everything. That wife and the baby was nice in the presentation, but he wasn't reading out the King James. I have a King James Bible. I might have a bad memory sometimes. Amen? <laughs> Second thing, when a blind person opens their King James Bible, that means absolutely nothing. Just like I tell the preacher, I'm watching that clock on the wall to get done by 7. That means nothing. But we're going to try, and I'm going to preach, and you ask God just to be with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor thou not rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. I want you to mark the phrase found in verse 5, the chastening of the Lord. This is my personal testimony of grace. Father, I pray that you would use me and fill me with your spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When we approach the book of Hebrews, we come to one of the greatest books, I believe, in all of the scriptures. Of course, I guess I could say that about all the books of the Bible, amen? Until I get into those brutal books over there in the major prophets, when I have to start reading Ezekiel, then it's not such a great book, amen? It actually is a great book, and I love the visions of Ezekiel. But when we come to the book of Hebrews, it's special to us. Because we are on this side of grace, and we are on this side of Christ, and we have received Him as our Savior, and we get to look back into the temple and the tabernacle and see the pictures fulfilled in typology and see the, the shadows that are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And as the author pins and tries to reach Hebrews to point them to the Savior Himself, it is a masterpiece that is written. It points and shows and directs without any shadow of doubt as to what the Lord Jesus was, who the Lord Jesus was, what His ministry was of what He came to do. It's just a matter of whether you'll trust Him by faith or not. And then we come on into chapter 11 after we go through the 10 chapters and we see what we all refer to as the Hall of Faith. And we love the characters of the Hall of Faith. And by the way, you look at men there like Samson and Moses and Abraham. These were flawed men, just like you and just like me. I see the description of faith and understanding that it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance and evidence of my faith was Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You take away the, prepar the prepositional phrases there, the evidence of things hoped for, and just say, what is the evidence and what is the substance? It's the person of Christ. Then we come on into chapter 12 and verse 2 defines what faith is that is proper faith. And that's looking unto Jesus Christ. Whenever we talk about faith, it's simply not looking horizontal, but looking vertical 
to the Master and Savior who truly lived on this earth, truly walked as a man, truly lived and walked and lived a life just as you and I have, only without sin, without blemish, without guile or the thought of sin, never did anything wrong to anyone, laid his life down as a blood sacrifice so that rebellious, diabolical, God-haters such as you and myself that were the epitome of sin could go free. The worst thing I've ever done to that little girl sitting back there in the nursery is this. I have given her a nature of sin that God will judge in a very just way. And my prayers, I've looked at her and wept, Brother Jerry, I've looked at her and said, I'm sorry I've given you a sin nature. I'm begging you to trust Christ as your Savior. This is how your sins are forgiven. I speak John 3.16 to her because I want to see her born again. And if she doesn't go to heaven... It's not because of some sort of injustice. Justice was taken care of at the cross in the eyes of God. It's not whether a person will trust Him by faith. And why it is so key to have a Christian home, why it is so key is there are so many things that are trying to distract and take away from your children. You're living in the greatest nation in the world. You have the greatest book in the world. We have them by droves on our shelves. We must put this into another generation so they don't die and go to hell, number one. Number two, so that Christianity can be perpetuated into the next generation. That's a side note, amen? But then we come on into verse 5. And the Bible deals specifically with the chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord. And I'm going to say to you here tonight is if you are a disobedient Christian, God will deal with you through a chastening hand. There are a lot of people whose days have been cut short. A lot of people who are out of churches whose lives have fell apart because the Lord chasing them and chasing them and chasing them and they just wouldn't listen. They were an uncorrigible child. They were someone that couldn't be dealt with. That is a court term when they have a child that is incorrigible. My mother has talked to me about as a former probation officer. I don't want to be that child to the Lord. I've been that child to the Lord. And let me say something to you. His chastening is very gentle when it starts. Just as mine ought to be to my child. And if you ever wonder how much God truly loves you, look at those precious children that you've been given and and look at what everything you would do to try to protect them with with your fallible, sinful disgraceful, rebellious nature towards God and how we love our children and think about how God loves us. Only He is infallible, not with flaw, perfect and holy and righteous and just and loving and kind, free from all evil. This is how much you are loved. And as He tries to discipline His children, He means business in what He does. I will never get my eyesight back Unless some miracle of science happens or a greater miracle than that that the Lord just chooses to give it back to me. But I don't live my life any longer praying that I get my vision back. I live my life now praying that God would help me to do what He's called me to do. It did not have to be this way. That was a choice. And when you sin against God as a Christian, it's a choice. And He wants to deal with you 
to keep you from doing something worse further down the line. And as you continue to yield to your way, and young person, as you continue to dabble in fornication or dabble in drugs or dabble in drink or dabble with smoking or dabble with homosexuality or to dabble with atheism or to dabble with the thoughts of secular humanism or to dabble with other faiths, you are playing with fire and poison that 10 or 15 years down the road might destroy you. You say, what about you, Brother Eric? It didn't destroy you. I stand here tonight will never be able to see the people in front of me. Are you willing to take that chance? I have many, 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 many friends. Two of my three closest friends I have had to see buried. One of them that I did was not at the funeral. I was in Africa who was lost and I don't believe he's with the Lord tonight. One of them I believe may have been born again. I preached his funeral dead before he's 40, chasing, worked over, probably the best looking guy in school, a good athlete, a good student, life erased by drugs. You know what I tried to do to help him? I tried to talk his mother into turning him in and putting him in jail. I looked him right in the face as he was trying to keep his mother living like a prisoner when he was 36 or 37 years old. I looked him right in the face, Brother Steins, I said, you need to call the police and have him put in jail. Now to a convict, that's pretty strong. But let me say this to you. I bet you a million times to one as I've talked to her many times just sobbing, she wishes she'd listened to me because he'd still be here. You see, whenever you enable your kids, you don't do that by love. You do that out of weakness. You do that, we do that out of a character flaw. We do, I do that because I don't have the, the spine and the backbone and a biblical structure to do something I think is going to hurt my kid immediately, but yet it's going to produce long-term fruit for righteousness. That is very tough, is it not? Amen. And you know I'm going to have to deal with it with that little girl. It's just a matter of whether I'm going to let her be a rebel or I'm going to teach her to fear God. And discipline is never used. It's never used out of anger. It's never used to satisfy myself. It needs to be used for the best of that girl. And whenever she is to be whipped or she has to be disciplined, she needs to feel as if she's going to die for doing that wrong. She's not. But by that fear, you'll keep people from dying and going to hell. Amen? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, does it not? Does it say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? We need to be thorough. We need to be capable. We need to be biblically sound in the decisions that we make in our homes. Men, we need to lead our homes. Ladies, we need you to have to follow in our homes. And we need to be in subjection one to another. Fearing Christ. And if we do not, we are watching our homes turn into war zones in our churches. You know why? Because we live just like the secular world. We live just like a practical atheist. We, have a pract- we are saved, but yet we do life just like the lost person does and put a spiritual name tag on it. That ain't going to get it done. They need to know you pray. They need to know you get answers to prayer. They need to know you love God. They need to know you're different. And you need to see that God raises them different. Because He will. He will deal with them. He will draw them to Himself. Ask my parents what it was like to put sports above the local church on a Wednesday night. It developed a deep sense of pride. I really th- After I'm saved, Brother Steins, the biggest struggle I had was I really thought that when I was wrong or something bad happened to me that that should never happen to me because I was there at Quarterfield. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, my pride allowed me to think I was somebody that I wasn't. 
and that God was somehow treating me unfairly and how dare He do this to somebody like me. And do you know what changed my life? Two years into my blindness dealing with bitterness from my early 20s, from some wrongs that was legitimately done to me, I looked to the Lord and I said, I don't know what's going on and He showed me that I lived better than 90% of the world, that I've never had to get off of that couch ever again the rest of my life, that my parents and my brother had made a commitment to feed and take care of me the rest of my days, that I really didn't have a whole lot of cares. And I sit with my head in my hands and wept. I said, how have I studied and studied the Scriptures and missed the most basic principle of Christianity to love you for who you are, not what you've given to me. And I started thanking Him for the situation I was in, and that's what changed my life. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know if you're under hardship because of the oppression of Satan. And I don't know if you're going through hard times because you're under the chastening of the Lord. But I can tell you tonight on the second of those that God's not playing games with you. God is serious about His dealings with you. This is not just another sermon or another thing for you to leave here and say, what a, what a great message or what a terrible message. i got to go and get something to eat. I want you leaving those doors changed. I want you to leave there aware that my personal testimony is God will chasten you and do everything He can to get your attention. And He's not playing games with you. The first reason why we're chastened by the Lord is because of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The Bible says all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You are chastened because of your own sin, your own sin nature, and what you and I have within us that is with enmity with God. That's the main reason starting off as to why we are chastened. It's from our own wrong, our own fleshly desires, wanting something God does not want you to have, doing something God does not want you to do, or being something God does not want you to be, and He is trying to correct our course to make us a better Christian, to make us a more fervent, faithful servant, to use us for His honor and glory, but yet we're too distracted with the things of the world. I wonder how many people are truly involved in the bus ministry here. I wonder how many people are truly involved in missions here. I wonder how many people are personal soul winners here. I wonder how many people read their Bible here. I wonder how many people spend some time in prayer here. And then I wonder how many hours we spend a day with the TV remote in our hand. How many hours a day we spend uh, pillowing around our, our place that God has given to us that, by the way, could be taken away in just a matter of days, months, or years and have bars and a fence all around us. We're busy teetering and tottering around and do it in the name of making our property look good. I wonder how many uh, days and hours we spend looking at the newest fads, the newest vehicles, the newest computers. How long are we spending time on Facebook? How much time are we spending on Twitter? Hey, the only thing Facebook and Twitter is going to prove at the judgment seat is this, is that our, our lack of prayer had nothing to do with not enough time. It will prove that at the judgment seat. Hey man, I use that in my ministry. I love it, but I am not a Facebook freak. If you are, God have mercy on you. If you get on there and you start controversy, God have mercy on you. If you get on and want to cause debate and you sit there and want to read all the garbage and you're putting up stuff about your home, your marriage, and you let your kids get on the computer out of, out of respect for their privacy, maybe you need your head examined. Because those kids are simple-minded at best. 
They're foolish in most of their mindset. There's fools all in this world trying to snatch them out of your hands. Why don't you have some wisdom? Make wise the simple and let their life be changed and you be different if everybody gets mad. You have a kid coming through the house maybe strung out on drugs, a girl that's fornicating with her boyfriend about to be knocked up and pregnant and you don't have no idea what's going on and you come to the preacher broken hearted. That's an extreme example but don't think it's not going on all across America. And if it is going on in your home, Brother Steins did not tell me to preach to you tonight. Amen? But whatever it is in your life that's distracting you from being the Christian God wants you to be, that's fleshly desire. And we need to enjoy some things, and I enjoy sports. I'm going to listen to a ball game on the way home. But let me tell you something, we'd be a whole lot better to get preaching into our minds and cut back some of these things, to get Bible study in our minds. Brother Steins, you've been, you've been around a while. Have you ever been around a more biblically illiterate church than we've been around the last 20 years in America? Biblically illiterate. Don't even know the stories of the Bible. Why? The lust of the flesh. Not only are we chasing because of the lust of the flesh, I must hasten, we're chasing because of a lack of faith. I lived my life as a practical atheist. I believed in Christ, I trusted Him as my Savior, but then I tried to use those secular principles I'd always lived by. Put self first. Don't let anybody try to get ahead of you. Don't be subjected to authority. Hey, whatever you do me wrong, it's over. We're done. I, the only problem is I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see it there. And let me say this to you. My life has not been a bed of roses since I've lost my vision and since the Lord eliminated me to His truth. But I can tell you one thing. It's been a whole lot better. Amen. And I've not always been perfect. And I've went nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball, grind to grind with people even since then. But let me tell you something. The Lord has done great things in my heart and in my life through the simple elements of faith. The most simple teachings in Christianity are what we seem to miss right now. We're not missing what's going on in Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah. We're missing eternal security. We're missing holy living. We're missing separation from the world. We're missing the doctrine of baptism. We're missing it in music. We're missing it in just simply showing up to church. We're missing it in our tithes and offerings that belong to the Lord, not to ourselves. And we do it and say, well, we can't make it. No, we, have, we want bigger homes, bigger vehicles, bigger eyes, bigger this, bigger that, bigger debt, less tithes, less offerings, less financial principles, less faith, and God's not blessing it. Can I have somebody say amen? Because whether we shout it or not, it is the truth. And deep in our hearts, we know it's the truth. And we know that the people that get saved and with these drug problems that are going on, it's hard to get them on track because they're so entangled with the world. And we need to put off the old man. We need to put on Christ. We need to develop the armor of God. And we need to live our lives by faith. I preached this morning on the Bible says, above all, taking the shield of faith. I might preach that here if I'm ever invited back. But there's seven pieces of the armor. That's right dead in the middle. Why does it say, above all, take the shield of faith? The breastplate of righteousness, the loins of truth, the gospel being preached, salvation, the sword of the Spirit and prayer, you cannot have those and exercise them and fight spiritual battles unless you believe God and use them by faith. Amen? That is a big reason we're chasing in our churches is a lack of faith. 
or nicer buildings than we've ever had. We, we have more preachers than there's ever been, but yet we're in as big a moral trouble as ever, as ever. Why? Lack of the substance of the Bible with us. Non-solid devotional time, non-solid prayer times, non-solid Bible reading times. We don't understand what we read. We blame it on the King James Bible. We go to 47 different versions and those people are more carnal and more wicked and more sinful and their movements are more loose than any other else and their Bible is copyrighted. Their Bible was made profit by the man that is the owner of Fox News. When the church quit making the scriptures, that's whenever we started having problems. We need to get an understanding of what's going on. And I'm here tonight just to help you with thus saith the Lord, not my own ideologies. And we are chasing because of a lack of faith and because of the lust of the flesh. But the greatest of these reasons is simply this. We're chasing because of the love of the Father. The Bible says whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And the one He scourges is the one He wants to receive. And let me tell you why you're chasing Him whenever you're doing things that are bad and you can't seem to get off the mat, but yet we seem going back into the repetitive nature of fixing things ourselves, fixing things ourselves, fixing things ourselves, and not applying biblical principles of how we deal with problems. As we're walking around with that lamp of bitterness. And the Bible tells us to lift up our hands and, and pull up the feeble knees and heal that which is lame unless it be pulled out of the way and can, I'm interpreting now and cause us to go further into distress. As we're limping along and people can't see the spiritual sin of bitterness, preacher, we're going along and we won't get it right. A lot of people can't see it. But Satan comes along with the smallest of battles and we're down again. And then he comes we get back up. We haven't resolved bitterness. We've got more of it and we're still dinged up. And the smallest little battles knock us off track. When you break a leg, it has to be said or it won't function properly. Is that right? That's the same thing God's trying to do in your spiritual life is to set the bones properly spiritually so that you can be the effective Christian, the fruitful Christian, and the Christ-like Christian that radiates the flowers of grace, that radiates the flowers of love and compassion, that radiates the flowers of justice and proper equitability or proper of doing right to your neighbors and your society and to make you what He wants you to be. You know, my life could have very easily been my neck broke in a wheelchair. I could have been in jail. I could have been married two or three times or had children out of wedlock. There's all kinds of different scenarios. Back into drugs. Back into all kinds of wickedness. Or I could have been dead. None of those things happened to me. I'm blind. But I'll take blindness over all those things. And I want to just say thank you to the Lord for allowing my vision to be taken. I want to know how much I appreciate Him for loving me enough to discipline me. I'm sorry to Him that I've done all the things I've done, but I can tell you today that He loves me as His own Son is why He did what He did. It was not of His choosing for what He would want for my life, but when I started to go astray, He reached down and grabbed me. He tried to correct me. I'm just thankful He even gave me the wisdom and faith to see what He was doing so I would be healed. My legs would be straightened and my paths would be straight. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. He loves you and He's out for your best as we stand.